You know, a foundation supports not only the weight of a structure, but it really determines the shape of it. You know, because when you, uh, you know, not only does it have to hold the weight, but you don't put a square structure on a round foundation. And so a foundation both gives shape and support to the structure that's upon it. And the Abrahamic covenant really is the foundational covenant of the Bible, which gives shape and supports all the other covenants, but it's also the foundation to the entire story of the Bible that gives shape to it and supports it. And it really has to do with our lives because we're really experiencing and our hope for the future really comes out of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And the better we understand that covenant, the better we're gonna understand the Bible. The better we understand the Bible, the better we understand God and what he's doing and what he desires in our lives. So a covenant is really kind of a new thought for many of us. It's interesting, the word in the New American Standard comes up 316 times. And in the Revised Standards, 344 times. And that doesn't even count for the times when they use the word oath or swearing to refer to a covenant. So it's a big concept in the Bible, but most of us treat covenants like the Passover. You know, when Passover in the Bible study methods is this, I come up to something I don't understand, so I just pass over it, and I don't think about it. Well, we're not gonna pass over it in this series because it's a major word in the Bible. Actually, I was surprised this week to see the word covenant actually shows up more often than the word believe in the Bible. And we're trying to unfold that because we're doing a series. Well, let me tell you what it means. George brought us to this last week, but a definition of a covenant is very simple. It's a solemn, binding agreement between two parties which provides a clear statement of how they will relate to one another. By the way, in a marriage, that's the vows. (laughs) You know, that's where you make your statement of how you're going to be relating to one another. And so this is a binding agreement between two, clear statement of how you're gonna relate to one another, where promises are made and conditions are agreed upon. That's the heart of what a covenant is. There's no word that is stronger in any language to define how relationships are gonna work. And so God has used covenants to help define for us in the strongest way just how he plans to relate to his people and what he plans to do. And so we're doing a series called People of Promise because the promises that God made in the covenant, he bound himself to do. And when I say bound, I I, I gotta remind us with this. Just like when you get married, those vows bind you to your way you're gonna act, but you know what? The privilege and the way God looks, he gets to do it. It's not, I gotta do it, because I bound myself to it. The word loving kindness, there's two words that constantly come up in relation to covenants. The word loving kindness 
And uh, when I was taking Hebrew in school, I remember the way that the professor said, bottom line, it means this, God loves to keep his covenant promises. And so God doesn't just have to do it because he bound himself. God gets to do it, and he loves to do what he's promised to do in his covenants. And the other word we just sang about is faithfulness. When God makes a covenant, you can rest assured that God's going to do it because he's faithful to his word. And so we're calling this series People of Promise because the story of the Bible, the story of what God's doing in the world, the story of our lives, the story of our future is all bound up in the promises that God delights to do and has bound himself to do in the most solemn means to, to, to do for us. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, the very first book of the Bible. What we see is this. From Genesis 12 through Genesis 22, there's a whole bunch of promises that are recorded that are connected with Abraham. In Genesis 15, we'll see that he turns it into a covenant. But all isn't contained in one passage. It's revealed progressively throughout these chapters. And we know that all these promises relate to the covenant because when we look later in the scripture, they talk about those as covenant promises. So we need to understand these promises we're going to look at today expand over about 10 chapters where God reveals the things that he is promising and binding joyfully to do for Abraham. And so let's take a look at uh, these five main promises. I put them on a slide so you can see them all at once. This is what we're going to look at in the scripture. This is what drives the story. But actually it has first of all to do with the land actual soil, geography, property that someone owns. So one of these covenant promises has to do with the land. In fact, let me say this right now. You've heard of the promised land. We sing about it. We read about it. Uh, some people think the United States is the promised land. It's not. The promised land is the land that God promised to Abraham to give to him and to his descendants. And so this land that we hear about and sing about and read about and use as a figure is really the land that God promised to Abraham. Then we're going to talk about a seed. We saw, we traced the seed through the Bible. We see in Genesis 3.15 there's a seed of the woman who's going to come and crush Satan and this seed is further clarified and expanded on a little bit in the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's a people, it's a nation, it's descendants that will come from him. Blessing is the third word. The benefits that God will bestow. And so God has promised and bound himself and delights to bless his people. In your seed all the nations will be blessed. That one specifically relates to Jesus, as we saw a few weeks ago. But God's plan is to bless not just 
the line of Abraham, but all the nations of the world. And then finally, God will be their God. Those are the five driving promises. There are some others we're going to see this morning that are also there, but those are the ones, if you can remember those, if you can write those in your mind, write those in your Bible. As you're reading the story, you're going to say, oh, they keep on talking about this land. And they keep on talking about these people of God. And they keep on talking about these blessings. And they keep on talking about Jesus and the way that he's a blessing to all the nations. And they keep on talking about God being their God. This drives the story. This is what makes sense of the story. This is the why behind all the stories of the Bible. This is the thread that ties it all together. And when we get these five main promises that God bound himself to joyfully do, we get to understand a little bit more of how the Bible works. So let's take a look at each one of these promises individually. Let's start with the land. If you're in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to talk about a piece of geography, the land that God promises to Abraham. Uh, Look down in verse 5 through 7, we see this fact of a land that God's going to give to them. Abraham, in verse 5, took Sarai, I should say Abram, that was his name at that time, took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said this, to your descendants, I will give this land. That land right there, God had promised to Abram that to his descendants, they were gonna get this land. Now, if you look over just in the chapter 13, I want you to look at verses 14 and 15. Just look at verse 15. Well, we'll do 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And so we see that God has promised to the descendants of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, a land forever. Matter of fact, not only is this relevant in the Bible, all you have to do is watch the international news over the years and how often do we see a conflict over this land? Uh, Israel's been in and out of the land. For well, We'll talk about that as we look at some other covenants. But now they're back and there's battles between those who say, wait a minute, this is our land. And no, the, the Jewish people say, this is our land because God promised it to us forever. And so we see this not only driving the Bible, we see this still today driving the events in the Middle East of what's going on. Then the second thing we see that God talked about was the seed. Look back at chapter 12, verse 2. And I will, it's a key word in the covenants, I will. These are things that God's going to do. 
I will make you a great nation. That's a, that's a group of people. That's a seed. And as you look down um, in verse 7, again, we saw the same thing. To your descendants, I will give this land. And so God is promising to Abraham descendants, a nation of people, a group of people. And we're going to see that these descendants will be numerous. Look at chapter 13, verse 16. Verse 16, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. He says something similar in Genesis 15, verse 5, and he took him outside and said, now look, at the, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So we see that God's going to have a land for his people. We see that, as a matter of fact, we saw that Abraham was able to look. He was the land he was standing on, looked at. It's the people that God's going to give this land to, and there's going to be so many of them that you can't even count them. And then we talk about a blessing. Back again in chapter 12. Again, you see these things expanding throughout, but the key here in chapter 12 Verses 2 and 3, we see the word blessing coming up over and over again. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, Abram, and I'm going to make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. Not only am I going to bless you, but you're going to be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So blessing, and we got a God who loves to bless. We, you know, you read it throughout the scripture, and by God's grace, we know we're part of the seed of Abraham through Jesus. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We look forward to the future material blessings. And so our God is a God who's promised to bless, and we see this driving the story of the Bible. Genesis 12.3, we just saw, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, let me read, so you don't need to keep turning over and over again. Let me read verse 18 of chapter 22 of Genesis. He says this, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Not just in you, but in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so we saw a couple weeks ago in Galatians 3 that he said that when God spoke the promises, he didn't just speak them to Abram, he spoke them to his seed. He says not into seeds referring to many, but to one speaking of Jesus. And so we know that this passage, through because of what Galatians is telling us, he's speaking about through Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we see that story as we see in the Old Testament, the prophecies and the waiting for this Messiah, the seed, the king, the Christ to come, who's the one who's going to bring all the blessings to the world. Obviously, we read the New Testament, the stories about Jesus and the way he has blessed and what he's done. And then finally, this one. 
Look at uh, chapter 17. We're going to see a number of them repeated here, but we're going to see a couple other ones that are added as well. But here's a big one. God will be their God. Watch for that as I read this in chapter 17, starting in verse 2. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant, God is telling Abraham, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations, not just a nation, a seed of people. We saw that a couple weeks ago. He's the father of all who have faith in Jesus, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And we see here again, you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. So not only is he going to be a father of a multitude of nations, kings are going to come forth from him. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God, to you and to your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promises to be their God. All these promises are reviewed here and spoken of. And we see three new ones. He's going to be the father of a multitude of nations. We see he's going to be a king. The kings are going to come from him. And God is going to be their God. That's a key phrase. Because that's a summary phrase that is used throughout the Bible and with the covenants. Matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 6, when God was uh, encouraging Moses after they'd been in slavery and he went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh didn't listen to him, God brought back to his mind the Abrahamic covenant and the fact that God is going to be their God as the means to encourage him. Ten times with the new covenant is connected the idea of God being their God. You go all the way into Revelation chapter 21. Remember the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible? There's no sin, there's no Satan, there's no curse, there's no death. Well, in the last two chapters, God two times refers again, I'm going to be their God. It's a concept of God being their God. Jesus, when he walked, the God is my father. And, uh, you know, I'm his son. This whole concept of God being their God is a major driver of the Bible and God being our God and God being the God of Israel and God being the God of all who believe in Jesus and God in the future uh, in the new heaven and the new earth being their God. It's a driver. And so again, let me just say, when you understand these five things and watch for them as you're reading the Bible, you're going to see it drives the story. 
It drives the story starting in Genesis all the way through uh, the book of Joshua where we see them going uh, into enslavement, the forming of the nation, receiving a constitution for their nation called the Mosaic Law, uh, seeing them enter into the land as we see this whole promise. These promises are driving the whole start of the Bible, but it goes beyond that as it drives in the Old Testament. It drives the prophecies. It drives the future hope of what's going on. And again, like I said at the start of the series, my hope is, is that you're going to understand the whys behind the stories, not the thousands of different stories of the Bible, but now I understand why that had to happen. Now I understand why it happened that way. Now I understand how that contributes to the bigger picture of what God is doing. This is the thread of what God is doing with these promises that he made to Abraham. And um, as we saw the five main promises, we saw there's gonna be kings, we saw that uh, he's gonna be a father of multitude of nations, and we also saw the fact that, uh, what we didn't see there, but we see in other passages, God's gonna judge the nations. Again, when you read the Old Testament prophecies, you read Revelation, you look at the future, that's all driven by the fact that God says, I'm gonna judge your enemies. Matter of fact, when Mary, in her song of praise before the Lord, she referred to the Abrahamic covenant as God coming to judge the enemies so that they could serve him freely. And so the thinking of the Jew, the thinking of the Bible as we look at this, is they think about these covenants as God joyfully bound himself in his faithfulness to carry these things out for his people. And so let's, um, let's look at the weight of this. Turn, turn to Genesis 15. We, we've learned the promises. Genesis 15 is where he turns it into a covenant. And the reason he turns it into a covenant is to assure Abram that he's going to do this. Because what had happened is, is that, uh, you know, he just came back from delivering Lot and all his family uh, that were captured by the kings, and he encountered Melchizedek on the way back. Then he encountered the king of uh, Sodom, and he offered him a great reward for what he was uh, for saving the people. But Abram said, I'm not going to take that because if I take that from you, you're going to say that you made me rich rather than God. And so as he goes on in verse chapter 15, verse 2, God says to, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1, God says to Abram, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield for you, your reward shall be very great. Then Abram says, God, you know, I, I don't have a descendant. I don't have a child. The person who's getting my reward is going to be a, a, a servant in my house named Eliezer. I'm childless. And God says to him, no, you're going to still have children. And that's where he came to that passage where he said, if you can count the number of stars in the sky, 
then you'll be able to count how many children you're actually going to have. And it's at that point that Abram believed God, and the scripture says it was counted to him as righteousness in verse 6. But then in verse 7, we see Abram's response. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 8. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So here's Abram. He's like, whoa, God, you know, you've made some, how do I know this stuff? How do I know you're going to do all this? There was some uncertainty in his heart. He needed some insurance. These promises are big. You know, at this time, Abraham was 99 years old, and his wife Sarah had been barren all her life. She was 90 years old. And so here he's got, God, how do I know this is going to happen? And look at what God does. Look at what he says in verse 9. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. We learned this last week from George, if you were here. That's a covenant. It's the, the word covenant means to cut. It's the sacrifice of an animal. And what they would do is they would cut the animal in half, lay it their sides opposite. The pool of blood would come to the center. And those that are making the covenant would come into the pool of blood and cross between the animals and state the terms upon which they're going to agree upon. And so here we see God's assured Abram about all these promises because I'm going to turn these promises into a covenant. As George said last week, I'm going to upgrade these. I'm I'm going to take your promises and I'm going to upgrade them to a covenant. You want to know how you can know for sure, Abram, that I'm going to do what I said? Because I'm binding myself in the most solemn means that there is to carry out what I told you I'm going to do. And then read on what happens here. I want you to note as I read, starting in verse 12, who goes between the pieces and who doesn't. Verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, know for certain. You see, how can I know? You want to know for certain? Because I'm making a covenant with you. Abraham was asleep. In verse 12, he fell asleep. Verse 13, God is speaking to him, says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Sounds like the book of Exodus to me. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. As for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you'll be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. 
This represented God. Where was Abram? He was asleep. Did he pass between the pieces? No. God himself passed between the pieces. And it said this in verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. Then he talks about the geographical land. I'm giving you the land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates. Now, most of us understand that little piece of geography that's there right now, this is really taking it from the Nile to the Euphrates. God says, I'm going to give to you, to your descendants. Then he talks about the people who are living in that territory. You know, so the place where the Canaanite and the Kenzite and the, I'm not even going to try all these because, but you know, a whole bunch of ites of, of people that are living there right now. This is the land that I am covenanting myself to give to your people. God went through by himself while Abram was asleep. God bound himself. An unconditional covenant. There were no conditions here saying, Abram, if you do this, then I'll do this. God said, I'm going to do this. And he bound himself joyfully by binding himself under most solemn means to carry out what he said he was going to do. Now just note this at this point. We'll talk about this in weeks to come. This is important. This divides lines of thinking in major ways. God made the covenant with Abram, Abraham. He establishes it. He carries it out with Israel. It's kind of like Kim and I got married when we got into a covenant of marriage together. Our kids are the outcome of that covenant. They were not part of the covenant. And this covenant was not made with Israel. This covenant was made with Abram, between God and Abram alone, and is carried out with his descendants. The descendants are part of the promise of the covenant. They're not part of the uh, members of the covenant. In the sense, God made the covenant with Abram. They get blessed because God is blessing Abram and because of the covenant he made with them. And that's very important to remember as we go on, as you read the text for yourself, they're the promise of the covenant, they're the provision of the covenant, they're the outcome of the covenant. They're not who the covenant was made with. They get to experience it. It was made with Abraham, it's established, carried out with Abraham and with his descendants. Unconditionally, God bound himself to do these promises to Abram. So I want to just prepare us for communion this way. Turn to Hebrews 6. George took us there last week. I want to revisit that. It's such an important passage. Hebrews chapter 6. You need to see this because he's referring to the exact story we just read about in Genesis 15. Starting in verse 13 of Hebrews 6, listen to this. 
For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. Oath, another word for covenant, part of the covenant, as George told us last week, is the oath that is taken in the midst of it. He's referring here to the idea of a covenant. I'll show you that more in just a second. So in other words, when a covenant is given, that's the end. There's nothing more to discuss. It's all done. It's complete. We learned in Galatians 3 a couple weeks ago, when a covenant is made, nobody can add conditions to it. Nobody can change it. A covenant, it makes it done. And so what, uh, so what we see here in verse 17, in the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, who are the heirs of the promise? Israel and all the believers in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose. I mean, guys, I want to tell you, I'm not going to change my purposes. I, you know, when, I, when a covenant is made, nobody adds conditions to it. Matter of fact, a, cove, a blood covenant, which this is, are, are permanent. They have to be kept to death. Matter of fact, part of the idea of death is, is that if I break the covenant, I'm worthy of death. The picture of death says, I'm going to live for the sake of that person I'm in relationship with the terms I agreed with them to. So I'm dying to my independent life. And so God's saying, to show you just how unchangeableness my purposes are to carry out what I promised to Abraham, he did what? He interposed with an oath. He took the promises. Abraham says, how can I know? He interposed with an oath. Say, well, how do you know that's a covenant? Let me just read this for you. You can look at it later. Luke chapter 1 in Mary's, uh, you know, you know, I got to take that back. That wasn't Mary. That was Zechariah's prophecy. The father of John the Baptist says this. To show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. What he's saying is a covenant is no different than the oath that has been sworn. And so what we see here is he interposed with an oath. He interposed with a covenant. He had promises that he had made. Abraham says, how can I know that they're going to happen? So what did God do? I'm going to make it into a covenant so that all certainty, all uncertainty can be removed. You know that my purposes are not going to be changed. You know for certain now, Abram, that I'm going to do what I promised you. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. What's the two unchangeable things? A promise and a covenant. God's promise is enough. If God promised something, he doesn't have to do anything more. God does not lie. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But now he took on top of it, he added those promises and made it into a covenant to just show just 
how unchangeable his purposes are so that we could have strong encouragement. So that the, the believers in Christ and even the nation of Israel can have strong encouragement that God is still going to do what he says. That's what the hope is. Hope is a future. If we see it right now, it's no longer hope. Hope is always looking into the future. It's something you're looking at. And what he's saying here is, I want you to have strong encouragement that God is still going to do what he's going to do. This is years after Israel had disobeyed the Lord. This is years after they rejected the Messiah. He's still saying, you can rest in the fact that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. I want you to be encouraged with strong encouragement to take hold of that hope and hang on to it. Matter of fact, this hope, he says, we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope that is both sure and steadfast and one which enters into the veil. We're going to learn in weeks to come. I guess, I guess I'm speaking this so passionately because you got to, this is driving the Bible. This is driving the Old Testament. It's driving our present. It's driving our future hope. These promises that God made with Abram. And we're going to see in weeks to come, the Mosaic Covenant details out the blessings. The Deuteronomic Covenant details out the blessings. The New Covenant begins to detail out more and more as we progressively learn what are these blessings that God's going to give. But the New Testament details out these blessings. Turn to Acts 3. Because he refers to the promises of Abram. Acts 3, verse 25. He's speaking to the Jews here. This is after Jesus had ascended back to heaven and they had crucified Jesus, but he rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven. Verse 25, it says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with your fathers, saying to Abram, Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you, speaking of Jesus, by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Salvation. <laughs> this is salvation. The blessing, one of the blessings that God had made in through Jesus, the seed and all the families of the earth being blessed is the fact that we'd be saved, that God would turn us away from our wickedness and turn us to him. We're going to finish with Galatians 3 here. If you just turn there, I'm going to finish that. Amazing what he says here in Galatians 3. As he refers again to the same passage in Abram. Verse 8 of chapter 3, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. What is part, part of that blessing? Is our salvation. Part of that blessing, he preached the gospel. 
God was preaching the gospel when he said all the nations will be blessed. Then you look down at verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that... By the way, when you break a covenant, what's the penalty? Death. Mankind has broken the covenant with God. The penalty is death. Jesus took the penalty of the covenant for us. In order that, in verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I love this. We said that the Abrahamic covenant is foundational to all the other covenants. The promise of the Spirit was in the new covenant. But he's connecting that new covenant promise with the promises he made to Abraham to bless. And part of the blessing is not only our salvation, the forgiveness of sins, but the receiving of the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of you and me, to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to assure us of our salvation. They'll go on and on all the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're here today and you know Jesus, you're already experiencing the spiritual blessings of the new covenant. You've been forgiven your sins. You've been given a new heart. The old heart was taken out. A new heart has been placed in. The Holy Spirit has been placed inside of that heart, as he says, to cause us to walk in his ways and to be careful to walk in his ways. But we also have the future hope of all the other covenant promises that are yet to be fulfilled as we look to the future. So I want to encourage you to go to communion this morning to thank God. Thank God that in Jesus, the one who died to pay the price for our sins so that we can enter into this big story of what God's doing in the world and his plan to bless all the nations of the world. And if you have trusted Jesus, you've already experiencing some of those blessings. If you trusted Jesus, you have blessings to look forward to at the return of Jesus. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, communion is for the believer. What you need to do today is take some time and say, Jesus, I don't know you. And admit, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're separated from God. Admit you're separated from all these promises that we talked about today and what God is doing. Admit that you fall short, just like everybody else, of the standard that God set and that you are worthy of death but instead, thank Jesus for taking that price for you and dying in your place. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, this is not a time to take communion. This is a time to receive Jesus. This is a time to do business with him. This is a time to not only get to know Jesus, but to be able to enter into all these promises that God has promised to do from beginning to end.